0: Being well aware of the barriers and how difficult listening could be to the listener, to me, very often, it's a more of a comfort zone. I always found that when I listen, things happen, not only because of the silence, but because, you know, when you listen, it's actually a very active behavior or attitude also i always had a father who was a great listener so as a daughter who uh, liked to talk a lot and to complain a lot and you know i felt that the fact that my father was there listening not judging just you know letting me be there with whatever i brought made a difference
1: hi I am your host, Raquel Ark, and welcome to Your Listening Superpower podcast. This show opens your mind on ways to transform challenging conversations into opportunities for clarity, connection, and ease at work and at home. Discover how to grow your listening superpower to help you become a more effective communicator. Be inspired by conversations with authors, scientists, and leaders that will help you grow your leadership toolbox with strategies that you can use right away. Let's work smarter and feel better with our listening superpower. What does humility in leadership have to do with listening? In this episode of the Listening Superpower podcast, you will find out. My guest, Michal Lehmann, is a postdoctoral researcher at the Carnegie Mellon University. She is focused on exploring the intricacies of humility between two people. Her research delves into the causes, outcomes, and boundary conditions of virtues in the workplace with a special emphasis on how humility can enhance one's understanding of people from diverse backgrounds. She is the lead author of a paper about humility among co-workers published in the Journal of Applied Psychology as well as a paper about listening as an intervention to increase humility, which is published in the Journal of Positive Psychology. You will learn a lot about the importance and the relationship between humility and listening in this podcast. Enjoy listening in. Welcome to the Listening Superpower Podcast, Maha. It's really nice to have you on this episode with me. And I'm really very curious about our conversation today because it's about a topic. Which we'll get into later, that is talked about often, but maybe not fully understood around humility and the work that you do there. Before we get into the conversation, I'd love to know about when you first noticed the power of listening, whether it worked or it didn't work. Oh,
0: that's an interesting question. But I think that I've been kind of familiar with listening as a person who practices listening. And being well aware of the barriers and how difficult listening could be to the listener, to me, very often, it's a more of a comfort zone. I always found that when I listen, things happen. Not only because of the silence, but because, you know, when you listen, it's actually a very active behavior or attitude, depends how you want to look at it. And so I think that it's always been there. Also, I always had a father who was a great listener. So as a daughter, I like to talk a lot and to complain a lot. And, you know, I felt that the fact that my father was there listening, not judging, just, you know, letting me be there with whatever I brought made a difference.
1: How did you know that? What was it that he did that where you felt that from him?
0: I felt that I could be myself. I could be annoying. I could be angry. I could be sad. I could be happy. And obviously not 100% of the time, but most of the time I could just be and he would let you be. And and everything was okay. I mean, everything you were and everything you brought. Of course, he was angry at me here and there. And, you know, he was a parent. I um, mean, very dominant and present parent but there was a lot of listening there
1: nice you know so you have been doing research in listening and how did you get into doing research on listening so this is actually an interesting
0: story I did not plan to be a researcher now I actually plan to you know finish my uh, MBA my uh, master's in business administration and you know, go back to my career. All I wanted was it to support my career and, you know, to learn new skills and knowledge, etc. But then I took a course that sort of changed my life. And now I know that. With Professor Avi Kluger, who you know very well, and he taught us, taught in class content that I never thought that I would study in a business school. listening, obviously theories that are related to human beings as opposed to, you know, I thought it was more about the numbers, finance, accounting, math. But then I learned all these new theories and because I had also a uh, work experience and I was working at the time as a global training manager, I could really relate to these theories and their importance and it, just, it blew me away. I never saw myself Doing research, I always imagine myself, you know, sitting in a library with books, covered with books, alone, and, you know, everything gray around me. So I and you know, I'm a people's person. But then, you know, all these theories like, open a new window to a whole new world. And then, you know, I started talking to Afi about the content and about research questions. He's like, okay, why don't you come and do your master's thesis with me? I'm like, me, master's thesis? No. I don't think so. And, and I really could not see myself completing a master's thesis. Even though, you know, I was a good student, I thought it wasn't for me. And surprisingly, uh, I took him on his offer and I did my master's thesis. I took a while to find an idea that, that was really, you know, really turned the spark, had the spark for me, but and it took many conversations. Navi, you know, his philosophy is, you know, the... The ideas should come from the student. And of course, these are things that he should also be interested in. But he works very hard with his students and his research students to bring out ideas that they could also relate to. And eventually that happened. And fast forward one year later, I completed my master's thesis and I enjoyed it a lot. And I never even thought of myself at this point as, you know, continuing to a PhD program, no way, you know, I thought, oh, that was cool, nice experience, I want to work. But then I continued being involved in research projects, even after, you know, not being affiliated with the university, because I had completed my master's, and submitted my master's thesis. But then after like a year or two of doing, you know, a little bit research, knowing that this was something that I was truly passionate about, my friend told me, why don't you just start a PhD? And I'm like, you know, I'm like debate, no, yes, no, yes. But eventually I had decided to start a PhD. And then I also started looking for something that would you know, have this spark and that is would be very interesting. And I started investigating humility as a construct and also the association between listening and humility, how humility affects people in the workplace and how humble coworkers will affect their coworkers. And and yeah, and eventually I completed my PhD and now I'm here at Carnegie Mellon starting uh, a postdoc and Right now, I I really feel that this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. You know, research, uh, research would be very, it is sometimes you work alone, but you also work with a lot of people. And what I've discovered is that when you have a research question or a research topic that is of interest to other researchers, it's like such a great connector. So I could speak to someone on the other side of the world without knowing anything about them. But, you know, the fact that we have mutual interests is... Uh, great glue. And I really love
1: that. What a nice story. And it's so, you know, that's interesting. The, the, you know, even a few years ago, you would have never imagined sitting in this place where you are now. And I'd love to just tap into this thing about the spark, you know, listening to the spark. You said that in a couple of times, you know, what's the spark. And when you were listening to the spark in the beginning, you didn't really know that much about listening, you know, that was a new thing. And now you're <laughs> know a lot more about listening. So before we dive into your research and what you've learned, what do you know about listening to your spark that would help others listen to their sparks?
0: That's a great question. I love the fact that you picked on the spark piece because I never did. I mean, not consciously, at least. I think that when you have a research question or something that has this spark, you just know it. If I think of a metaphor as like the smell or the scent of spring, of of blossom, I can relate to that. the same feeling, sort of, that when I feel that I found something interesting and counterintuitive at the same time that would be really interesting to find the answer to and how nature works, you just know it. It's just, okay, there it is. And I think that the first time I was looking for the spark, at least in the context of research, was when Avi and I were looking for this research question that would have this spark. And today I also use it when I have a certain idea or a beginning of an idea. And then I, you know, dig more into the literature, talk to people. And then, you know, all of a sudden, you know it when you're almost there. You're like, okay, I'm getting there. And then you know it when you're actually there. It could be like another paper that I read with another idea that connects nicely to the questions I'm asking and then gives me another angle that, you know, hasn't been studied yet. And then I'm like, okay, this is a nice catch. This is interesting. I wonder how and if this works, but it's really interesting because I don't know if I can really describe, but it's it's like, I have this feeling, where, okay, we're getting closer to the spark. And also when we have the spark,
1: it's almost like a buildup of excitement that starts building. And then there's a Yes. <laughs>
0: Exactly. Yes. And and the buildup, the, the process is like, and it's also like when you don't have the spark, that's also, that's like the opposite. It's like, no, no, it's, it's not working. It's not where I want to go. I need to go. And that could be quite frustrating, but when you get closer to the spark, you're like, okay, I'm on the right path. And then, and, and, and then I'm, and then I'm happier. Yeah.
1: Nice. So you have done research on humility, humility and work And perhaps you can just, in a few sentences, describe what are you looking for, or what have you been looking for in terms of humility at work? And then after, describe what you found. So
0: in my PhD, I was interested in two questions about humility. The first, I was interested in humility more in the dyadic context. That means
1: between two people.
0: Between two people and two people who are same level. Because humility has been studied a lot by Brad Owens and Dave Heckman in the context of a humble leader or leadership. And it's, it's effect. a power. It's mm-hmm. yeah, it's an amazing effect on teams and employees. And what I was interested in and still am is how humility will affect coworkers on the one hand, and how can we develop more humility between coworkers? or obviously the, the starting point is between two people. So going back to my question, it was, okay, what could increase humility between two people? And I guess, you know, the answer already. And the second one is once I am humble in the presence of another person, how will that affect this other person at work? So these are the two, like maybe overarching questions. And so, and what we found was that if I, for example, work, With you and you perceive me to be humble in your presence, then you will feel more psychologically safe and therefore you will also be more creative and I will observe it. And what's interesting about that is that these relationships that we found are dyadic, meaning we found them on top of a person's trait or individual level uh, humility or the consensus of how humble this person is in the team. And how this person tends to rate others' humility. So we used uh, a method that is able to decompose the variances of, you know, humility perceptions. And then, you know, find these interesting associations that is kind of overlooked, I think, in psychology. There are, obviously, there is a lot of research on about this dyadic level and about these decomposed perceptions, but not enough. And these processes that we found with humility are unique to the dyadic level. So you will not necessarily find them in general. So it has
1: to be between two people. So let me just, just for our listeners sake. So basically what that means is that it's not just that someone's humble. It's not just that you learned how to be humble. You're practicing some humble thing or people, or there's humble there. It means that it has to do with what happens between two people. That that has the the influence, whatever happens between these two people. So can you describe what that means? What happens between two people?
0: What happens is that I could, you know, behave in a humility manner in general. But when I interact with you, my humility will vary based on the person that I'm interacting with. So I could be humble with you, but not with another person. Okay. I could be the best partner you would like to work with, but the worst partner of someone else. Why? Because we, when we work together, we create something that is independent to our dyad. And this is what I was interested in. I was interested in, okay, obviously we know that relationships are important and we also know that dyads are a very uh, abundant form of uh, work teams But there's a lot that we don't know about the processes that happen within the dyad. Like, what is the exchange like? How does it affect the other person? And humility, I think, is particularly important because on the one hand, you cannot be humble without another person, right? Because, I mean, humility is something that is perceived in the context of other people. There is a personal aspect that we can discuss later, but a lot of it is interpersonal. So on the one hand, on the other hand, it's, it's a very subtle behavior or virtue. Okay. So it's very hard to grasp it and also to appreciate it because it's, you know, a humble person will not be very vocal. It will not say I am humble, right? Because if you brag about being humble, then you're, you're not probably not. <laughs> humble. So, yeah. So it's really hard also to capture it and to appreciate it. And I think that, you know, but still there are ways to. I mean, when you meet a humble person, you know that, right? It's like when you meet a good listener, you know that. Or a unique listener, you know that. So I was interested in this fuzzy, subtle virtue that is, on the one hand, subtle and quiet, but on the other hand, very, very powerful.
1: And so, how does listening play a role in this whole humility piece between two people?
0: Yes. So, as I mentioned in my PhD, we were interested in how humility affects another diet member in work teams. But another question was, how can we create humility? Or what interventions can we use to shape and increase humility? And what we found that listening, surprisingly or not surprisingly, helps create humility for both partners, meaning both for the speaker and the listener.
1: That's important because sometimes people worry, oh, it's only good for them or it's only good for me. You know, how come, but actually it's very, it's equal talk about inclusivity, right? So listening helps equalize things.
0: Right. It, have, it helps equalize things and it helps both partners to become more humble, but more so for the
1: listener. The listener becomes more humble.
0: Yes. The speaker too, okay. but not as much as the listener. Okay. And I can discuss why we think that that happens. So first let's go maybe back to the how humility is defined. So there are a lot of different definitions of humility and different conceptualizations used uh, in the literature. And, you know, when I sort of scan the literature, I try to narrow it down to two main components. The first one was uh, internal complexity and external complexity. So the internal complexity aspect refers to the ability to view the self in a sort of balanced manner to view both the positive and the negative. So it's not, if I'm humble, it's not, oh, I'm so bad at this, I'm so bad at that. It's not lowliness, but it is the ability to view both the positive and the negative. Yes, I'm not very good at writing, but I'm really good at coming up with new ideas, for example. It's knowing who you are on the one hand. And on the other hand, it's that's what I call external complexity or understanding my complexity in the context of the environment is to understand that you're part of something much much bigger. You're not the center of the world. there are a lot of other people and other beings and other powers that you know play into whatever's happening. so there are other people contributing. As well as you, and you're actually a very small part of the entire world, but not in a way that is, you know, will cause you to be anxious, right? Lack of control, but on the opposite side, like relax, nothing is under control. You're not the center of the world. Now trying to connect that to listening, what we thought was that when someone listens, but listens truly well, they become a part of another person's world. Mm. Okay. They become...
1: Again, say that again. This is really important. Say that again. When
0: someone listens really, really well, but truly and authentically well, they become part of another person's story. Okay, you know the feeling that you forget who you are and you forget what you are and how you woke up in the morning and you're all the the things that sort of preoccupy your everyday experiences and that you're just like in the story of someone else and you. You're not even bothered with who you are. You're sort of in the flow of this listening. So, this is when you truly listen to another person. I think that your self sort of merges with the other person's self. So, you and this is, I think, the strongest way to realize that you're not the center of the world and that you are part of something bigger. And I think that this is why. Uh, when people listen, they become more humble because they're the understanding that they're part of something more complicated, more complex. That's basically what happens. And I think that when you realize that about the environment, you also look at yourself in a more balanced manner. So then you can, by increasing your external complexity, you're also able to reflect on your internal complexity eventually.
1: I'm just thinking, did you do research in organizations or when you did some of this research? I know that- So, you...
0: so this question was, uh, we did it both in experiments in the lab where we brought two people to the labs and gave, asked them to listen carefully or to act distracted with different uh, manipulations of listening. And we also tested this in the field in listening courses listening MBA courses. And what we found were was that listening courses increased humility, whereas we compared it to a normal organizational behavior course. You know, these are also nice courses. These are not finance courses because we wanted to compare it to courses that are sort of close content. And we found a decrease in humility. So the courses yeah, okay. that we teach managers or future to be managers could decrease their humility, whereas a listening course, a semester-long course, could increase.
1: Increase. Okay, so so, ah, so you're looking at humility in these different courses. In some courses, the content actually you measure the humility going down, but with a listening course, you measure the humility of those participants. Right. So we took me- we
0: measured yeah. humility in the beginning and at the end of yeah. the courses, and then yeah. we compared them across four semesters.
1: Oh wow! Uh, yeah. And
0: we found pretty much the same.
1: Oh, interesting. You know, because I know you've, you've worked out in the real world besides being a researcher, you know, and so if you think about if, you know, some of our listeners are leaders, you know, or people leaders in our organization, you're thinking about this in terms of twos, in terms of pairs, and you're also looking at it beyond hierarchy, beyond power. So then you have this team, this team lead that has a team of 10 people, eight people, 10 people, and they want to create more humility amongst their team members because they rec- they've noticed that is out of balance. Any thoughts on what you would recommend knowing what you know now?
0: I would recommend acting practicing listening. I did not test listening in the context of leadership, but I from my own experience and from research that I'm familiar with, I know that, you know, listening is also a superpower when or maybe especially a superpower when practiced by leaders and managers, so I would suggest listening all
1: around. What I was thinking is that means that for a leader, it's really important that you know that your one-on-ones with your team are really important. Your one-on-ones are so important because that's that dyadic piece that Michal is talking about. And the second thing is I could imagine doing stuff where you're putting people into pairs and rotating where they, you know, with some listening practices of some sort, however, that may be that getting them to practice doing that in pairs, not only in the team, in the group, that that could have a huge impact. I could Definitely. imagine. I think mm-hmm. that
0: working, like having people interact with each other in dyads is very, very important. Also making it deliberate, right? Making Okay, now we have a one hour where we have coffee, drinks, whatever. And we're also going to have these dyadic interactions where people listen to each other or even just talk to each other. And also let, I think that leaders should let Co-workers work on projects in dyads, because if we know that there are some very important processes happening at the dyadic level, if you find this dyad power couple, that mm-hmm. might improve performance of the team. So if you know mm-hmm. how to combine your dyads in a smart way, then that could also contribute to maybe be more productive than, you know, working in an entire team.
1: Yeah, yeah like just those structures and changing things around and moving things around, you can indirectly yet directly really impact the interactions between people and how people work together. Yeah. Yeah. Really interesting. So let's move forward. You know, you mentioned, I'd love to share with some of the listeners, you mentioned (laughs) what you were working on now. So for all of you listening here, this is a new word for me and I'm, you know, want to know more. So you are looking at, here it is, drum roll intellectual humility. <laughs> like, yes. And how that relates to empathy, which empathy is a big term. We can talk about that. What are you looking at? What does that mean? <laughs> ah, That's a great question.
0: So intellectual humility, as opposed to general humility, that is very, as I you know, explain earlier, it's a very multifaceted, hard to grasp concept. Intellectual humility is more specific and it's more specific to the cognitive layer of humility. And basically, what it is, it's the understanding that you don't know everything and it, that you could make mistakes. Okay, this small, not really small, but let's say compared to other things we're dealing with, this small concept is very, very powerful. And very essential, especially in today's world. With the polarization and people having very extreme attitudes towards various topics and everything going on in Israel and the United States and, you know, all across the world. This is a topic that is very interesting to me. This is a topic or a concept that, you know, was already talked about by uh, philosophers many, many years ago. And it's becoming more and more hot, let's say, in the research field. And to me, it's particularly important because one of my, I want to do research not only, you know, for for academia, but I want to do research to try to make a difference. So I'm very interested in the relationship between intellectual humility and how that affects Relationships. And one of the questions I'm looking at together with uh, Anat Perry from the Department of Psychology at the Hebrew University is how uh, intellectual humility affects empathic
1: accuracy. That means, so intellectual capacity, that means that as a person, like it's like I go into a conversation where maybe I would have beforehand thought, oh, I already know the answer. But this time I'm going into the conversation say, hey, there's probably things I don't know. I may not know the answer to this. Right. And then how that mindset shift um, that I can learn something new or understand from others or maybe some other things, um, that shift then impacts how, whether our empathy works, whether we're really able to understand other people's perspective. So
0: what we're looking at is particularly how intellectual humility could affect empathic accuracy, which is objective understanding of other people. And the way we measured empathic accuracy was we saw we Anat's lab has a, a very large stimuli set that she had developed with short videos of people from all different backgrounds telling short autobiographical stories, after which they rated how they felt while telling the story. And what we do, we bring participants to the lab, we show them these videos and ask them to rate how they think that this person felt while telling the story. And this enables us to compare the ratings and therefore measure how this person really felt in comparison with how the perceiver thought that they felt. So sort of we correlate these ratings and this is how we measure empathic accuracy. And what we do find is that there is a relationship between intellectual humility and empathic accuracy
1: how can people increase their intellectual humility that's a good question we still need to figure that one out
0: <laughs> so obviously one of the some of the ideas that we have involve listening but i will not say much more because i haven't tested it yet but it's definitely going to happen but we do know how to manipulate it by letting people answer certain questions that they think they know the answer to. But when we give them the real answer, they realize that their answer was wrong, but not in a way that makes them feel stupid, but in a way that makes them like, oh, wow. Okay. I didn't know that. That's interesting. Because again, humility in general and also intellectual humility is not about making a person feel bad. Oh, I don't know anything. I'm stupid. But no. No making them realize something about the world, okay, or about, them, you know, the human beings in general.
1: We don't know everything, and we could make mistakes. Yeah. So I'm just curious, if you could do some research in an organization relating to this, what would be your dream?
0: Ha uh-huh. So there's not a lot of research, or I'm not aware of any research in the organizational behavior related to intellectual humanity.
1: Ah, So any organizations listening here, you have a chance to be pioneering to do some research on intellectual humility in your organization and with teams. Yes,
0: that would be really amazing and important. And um, I think that, you know, uh, teach us a lot about uh, how we could also increase our productivity at the team level, the dyadic level. And yes, intellectual humility in the context of organizations is intriguing to me also in, you know, at the team level, at all levels, basically.
1: Just thinking that quite a few organizations, when you read, you know, different value systems and stuff, they have things like egoless environment. This would fit this humility thing, right? right? And yet at the same time, when people come into organizations, obviously they have to prove themselves. They have to reach these goals. There's things that they have to achieve. And so it almost goes counterproductive towards some of that stuff. So I'm wondering if how so, I'm just thinking from a leadership, like how to how does this also impact productivity? if this really, if we're able to use some of these like listening and some of these things where that supports the process within the system and we're still able to reach our targets, <laughs> how cool would that be? Or even reach better than what we thought?
0: <laughs> yes, that's what I think that will happen because I think that if you strengthen this dyadic level, find the people that work well together, find the people that are humble in the presence of each other, for example, then, you know, to the long run, it will pay off. To the long run, your productivity will increase. And, you know, the bottom line will
1: also do much better. Yeah. So going back to you now, how is your intellectual humility? Have you... (laughs) what have you learned (laughs) and maybe there's an example of where you're like oh I need to do a check here and now it's even better now
0: (laughs) you know that's an interesting question because I think that most people would think that they're humble and that they're intellectually humble including myself but when I looked at I took one of the questionnaires of intellectual humility I look at the actual questions I'm like I'm not sure that i am actually intellectually humble. So that's like a real interesting check to do with yourself. And i think that that brings, you know, to the table uh, a question uh, about the context in intellectual humility because if for example this is also a question that uh, i've been discussing a lot with uh, Anat Perry, if for example a person is very sure about their an attitude, you know, in a certain aspect, okay? We all hold some strong views right that we think that we and we think that we learned everything about and we really don't want to change our view in that area but you could be intellectually humble in other areas that you don't know that much about so if i listen to a person who you know shares their knowledge and their views and things that i have strong views i will probably be less intellectually humble than I would be in other areas. And I think that this is something that is sort of probably true about many people, or at least, you know, that lets me sort at least live with the knowledge that I'm not intellectually humble in every area. But I think that you can be intellectually humble in every area, and that's so difficult. When you realize that you can learn something from everyone, regardless of what they're talking about, like even if you discuss... a topic that you already have, you know, a preconception, you're not going to change your view. And, you know, listening to another person, just really for, for the sake of listening and to see what you can learn from that person, what you can gain from this conversation, I think that that might like sort of broaden the idea of uh, intellectual humility. And I think that one of the barriers to listening that also I'm pretty interested about is, is the fact that, I think that some people avoid listening because they look at it as a weakness. And that if I listen to you, you might think that I agree with you. And that's a problem because if you listen, it doesn't mean that you agree with a person.
1: Right. You know, I wonder about that too. And sometimes people perceive if you listen to me, you agree with me. So it goes both ways. And I think that there's a way to frame saying, you know, I want to listen and understand you. I may not fully agree, but I want to understand your perspective, like, and then go from there. That might be a way to let the person know you're really making a difference, but that the agreement may not be there, but you're looking at things. Or if you're the person who's speaking and you not to assume that someone's agreeing just because they're nodding their heads, you know, then you have to do some other check-ins and give them a chance to speak and see what they would do and how they would apply whatever you're talking about. And then you'll know if they're on track or not, probably. I'm just thinking of a couple ways to kind of check, do a check in if people are really interested.
0: Yeah, that's a great idea.
1: Yeah. So, from what you described to me, there's a couple of things I see that are pulling out that seem important. Number one is the pair, the person that you're actually interacting with will impact that humility and whether humility happens or not. The second thing is the context and to start to pay attention to the context and how does that influence when you see more likely to be able to humble or to choose humility. It's almost like a choice to choose humility. And by choosing humility, that means, and this intellectual humility is recognizing you may not know everything and you're open to learning. Uh, it's also about listening and that listening has a huge impact on that. So those are a couple of things that I hear from what you've shared today so far. And that if you do it that way, then the chances that you can really practice this empathy where you're really understanding the perspective of another the chances that you understand that person is much higher and to do it in a way where you're not stressed, where you can actually be okay. And you're safe and they're okay. And they're safe. Mm -hmm. This is really important. Also, when you think about difficult conversations or challenging or performance reviews and things like this. Now, is there anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners today?
0: I think you summarize it really nicely, and you also give me a, another perspective to sort of frame my research and how, you know, give them like a, a story. So I really like that. Another thing I would like to share I think that I would like to find more ways to make connections between science and, you know, research findings and the field, because I think that it's not, I mean, even though There are different attempts like your important work and your and your podcast and you know and others but I would love to think of other ideas of how to bring together all this knowledge to the field because you know if it stays in the journal that you know most practitioners do not read then I think we're losing as you know human beings all part of this world all all one we all want to make it a better world, better society, better organization. So this is something that I'm, you know, to find more ways to do it. And this is why I'm really happy about the opportunity to participate today here. And of course, I really enjoy the conversation, but I think that the fact we could bring this knowledge to the field is very important.
1: Yeah, it's so important. And that's one of the things I love. One of the things I appreciate about learning, like what you're talking about is, a lot of these concepts also about listening is sometimes it's hard to grasp what just happened. You know, something magic just happened. This thing just happened, but what is it? And so the research helps also for me to be able to put words to it so that I'm able to even more intentionally bring that to other people. And so I really appreciate the work that you guys do and all of the researchers and being able to have these conversations. So thank you so much for being on this podcast. And I really learned a lot today. Thank you so much for inviting me. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, if people want to get in touch with you, maybe there's some interested businesses out there who want to do, want some research done. How do they get in touch with you? I would love if they could email me. We can put things in the notes. Mm -hmm. We can put your email on the notes. Yeah. Yeah. So I would love
0: that. And I would be happy to answer any question and think of collaborations.
1: And thank you. Thank you. I'm your host, Raquel Ark, and you have just enjoyed your Listening Superpower podcast. This is an independent show, so please show your support by subscribing, leaving a five star review, and sharing with your friends. I love to hear from my listeners what you love, what questions you have, any great guests that you have for the podcast. Email me at listening superpower at gmail.com or send a voicemail at plus four nine. Check out listeningalchemy.com if you want to help your team communicate more effectively together. We focus on evidence-based listening strategies and we do it in a playful and experiential way so that your team can work better and feel better together. Thanks for listening in.